Hello, everybody. How are you today? Hey, guys. We have something different for you this week. Uh, I've been dealing with the death in the family, so we didn't have a lot of time to do prep for the episode, but we did want to have something out for you. So this week, <laughs> as you can see, I have not been home very, very much the last several days, and... The cats are missing her. <laughs> yes. So... It doesn't take a lot of preparation to do the circle time stuff because it's just you reading a book to me. Yes, and you commenting as you see fit. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put part one and part two out. Part one was on the Patreon originally, but we'll put it in the regular feed right now. So you're going to get two episodes if you didn't listen to part one. I'm just going to put this intro in front of both of them. Okay. So some lucky people will get to hear this twice. I see. <laughs> and at the end of uh, part two, that's when we recorded in a hotel room after an eight-hour drive. Yeah. So we got pretty punchy towards the end. So that's hopefully fun for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> if not, we're sorry. Yeah. If this isn't your your normal thing or not, not your thing at all, that's totally fine. We'll have a regular episode back up next Wednesday and be on our regular schedule. But just needed needed a little time. Yeah. So let's just... Gather around, everybody, <laughs> for some circle time. Circle time. Gather around, everyone. It's circle time. Yay! Today, we are reading The X-Files Origins by Jonathan Mayberry, Devil's Advocate. Who wants to advocate for the devil? Honestly, I have a problem with this name. Yeah. Because people, anybody who uses the term devil's advocate is automatically an asshole. I concur. So this being the title of this book, already turned off. Well, maybe that's the antagonist of the book. Maybe. I'm, I'm going to read you the back cover, just to give you a brief overview. Okay. And then we'll get into it. Ready? She wasn't always a skeptic. Oh. In the spring of 1979, 15-year-old Dana Scully has bigger problems than being the new girl in school. Dana has always had dreams. Sometimes they've even come true. Until now, she tried to write this off as coincidence. But ever since her father's military career moved the family across the country to Craigor, Maryland, the dreams have been more like visions. Vivid, disturbing, and haunted by a shadowy figure who may be an angel or the devil. What? When a classmate who recently died in a car accident appears before Dana, her wounds look anything but accidental. Compelled by a force she can't name, Dana uncovers even more suspicious deaths and must face the dangerous knowledge that evil is real. But when a betrayal of faith makes her question everything, she begins to put her faith in being a skeptic. Uh. So based on that back cover, would you read this YA novel? Absolutely not. Me neither, actually. The reason that I read it is because we're doing the X-Files podcast, the cast files, and I was curious about the origin stories. So I read this one and I read the Mulder origin story, which I enjoyed more. Okay. It, it really seemed to thread some of the Mulder characteristics throughout, which I enjoyed. Um, one of them, I'm not going to spoil that, but one of them being the sunflower seeds. 
I know you guys have always wondered about the sunflower seeds, and it's explained in the origin story. (laughs) After reading The Devil's Advocate, I am also a skeptic. So let's see how you feel. I'm a skeptic about this being the origin story. Oh, okay. All right. So let's see how you feel after the first couple of chapters. This book opens with a quote from Dana Scully from The X-Files, obviously, because she's not a real person. (laughs) (laughs) Many of the things I have seen have challenged my faith and my belief in the ordered universe, but this uncertainty has only strengthened my need to know, to understand, to apply reason to those things which seem to defy it. I can get on board with that. Yep. Part one, angels and demons. The The devil is an angel too. Oh, I learned about that. Today, earlier today. That's not true at all. That's not in the Bible. That doesn't mean it's not true. (laughs) I'm just meaning that the devil is not a fallen angel. That's all fanfic that came later. Oh. Yeah. This is fanfic also, so that's... (laughs) I hope an actual professional author wrote this and it's not actually fanfic. You can be a professional author and also write fanfic. Dislike. No, no interrupting during circle time. Oh, <laughs> then just read it without me. So I really like the way that this is set up. We've got different parts. So it breaks up the different areas, kind of like scene one, scene two, scene three, or act one, act two, act three, actually. And then it also has the, the lower thirds, except this is at the beginning of the chapters. So chapter one, Scully Residence. Crager, Maryland, April 1st, 1979, 7.29 p.m. Let's see, I was one and a half. I want to believe, said Dana Scully. Ooh, that's a line. That's that's from the thing. <laughs> Melissa Scully looked at her sister. Dana sat a few feet away, red hair tangled by the wind, blue eyes fixed on the darkening sky. Above the canopy of leaves, the first stars of the brand new April were igniting. The waxing crescent moon was low, slicing its way into the steeple of the empty church across the street. Deep in the tall grass, a lone cricket chirped, calling for others who were not yet born. Who's the author? Jonathan Mayberry. I'm going to find him and punch him. (laughs) I hated that line. Believe in what? asked Melissa. She twisted a curl of her own auburn hair around one finger. Everything, said Dana. She sat with her knees up, arms wrapped around her shins, cheek on one knee. The stuff you keep talking about. The stuff Gran always talks about. She shrugged. All of it. So, said Melissa, giving her own shrug, believe. What's stopping you? (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's a good line. (laughs) Dana said nothing for a long time, and the cricket was the only sound. Twilight's last fires were burning out, and the streaks of red and gold and lavender that had been painted across the sky were thickening to the uniform color of a rotting plum. Dark, purple, and ugly. A tidal wave of storm clouds was rolling in from the southeast, and there was the smell of seawater and ozone on the breeze. Although it was unseasonably warm for early spring, the storm was pushing cold and damp air ahead of it. When Dana finally spoke, her voice was soft, distant, more like she was talking to herself than to Melissa. Because I don't know if they're actually visions or only dreams. Maybe they're the same thing. Dana cut her a look. Really? Because last week I dreamed that Bo from Dukes of Hazard picked me up at school and we went driving to that st- in that stupid car of his and then we made out like crazy in the church parking lot. How old is she? 15. John Schneider's way too old for her. Also, real relevant, this book came out in 2017. I don't know what this guy looks like. You don't know? 
No. Bo Duke? No. I have no idea what this guy looks like. You think children or teenagers, sorry, reading this YA novel in 2017 have any idea who this is referencing? Okay, but it's referencing 1979, so you can't just not have... You, you can't, she can't be talking about, like, what's a guy that's now a Danny Rodriguez. She can't be talking about Danny Rodriguez. No, but it would have been fine if she had just mentioned some guy at school. I suppose so. You never made out with anyone. That's my point. And when I do, if I do, are you going to sit there and tell me it'll be with some grown-up guy on a TV show? He's old. He's like 20 or something. <laughs> so it would be illegal, too. You can't tell me I'm seeing my own future. Melissa laughed. Okay, so maybe not all dreams are prophecies, but some are. And sometimes those dreams are really important. How do you know that? Dana asked. Everyone knows that. Dreams, okay, some dreams, are our inner eyes opening to the possibilities of the infinite. Dana sighed. You always say stuff like that. They sat and watched the bruise-colored sky turn black. Way off to the south, there was a flash of lightning that veined the inside of the coming storm clouds. Thunder muttered far away. The first breezes came spiraling out of the night, whipping at the leaves and lifting the corners of their blanket. Melissa closed her eyes and leaned into the wind, smiling as it caressed her face. The wind faded slowly, and then it was still again, except for the lonely cricket that was beginning to sound desperate. Maybe if you tell me what the dream was about, said Melissa, turning to glance at Dana, then it could help you figure out whether it was a dream or a vision. Dana shook her head. Oh, come on. You've been in a mood all day long. It's clearly bothering you, so why not tell me? High above, somewhere in the dark, invisible against the sky, they heard the sudden flap of wings and the lonely, plaintive call of a crow. Dana shivered. Are you stressed out? No, I was just looking up how many episodes of Dukes of Hazard had aired at this time, and only nine had. I'm not cold. Oh, you distracted me. I was actually asking if you were stressed out because of the scene, not because of you playing on your phone. I wasn't playing on my phone. I was looking something up directly relating to this. Melissa reached out and put her hand on her sister's arm. Dana's skin was covered in goosebumps. Geez, you want to go in and get a sweater? I'm not cold, said Dana. Melissa frowned. Dana finally said, I dreamed I saw something bad. Her voice was small. It was younger than her 15 years. Melissa moved closer and put her arm around Dana's shoulders. What did you see? She asked. Dana turned to her. The moonlight revealed two pale lines on her cheeks. Silver tear tracks that ran crookedly from eyes to chin. I dreamed I saw the devil. And that is the end of chapter one. Chapter two is only one page. <laughs> so chapter two, outside Scully residence, 10.07 p.m. The car crouched. <laughs> God. The car crouched quietly at the curb. Lights off, engine off. Two shapes sat on the front seat. There was a chill in the air and they put collars turned up and hats pulled low. The street was silent and a light rain fell, pattering on the hood of the car, plinking in puddles, hissing in the grass. The wet asphalt looked to, like a river of oil as it wound up and curved around the darkened houses. Two shapes watched the Scully house, first in darkness and then lit by a, a last flash of distant lightning. She'll do, said the passenger, breaking the long silence. You sure? asked the driver. Time will tell. There was a sound from the back seat, and both men turned to see another shape there, bulky and soaked from the rain. The third figure, big man in a dark blue uniform, sat hunched forward, face in his trembling hands, sobbing quietly. Please, he whispered. Please don't. 
The two men in the front exchanged a look and turned away. Lightning flashed once more, tracing the edges and lines of the house with a blue-white glow. The man behind the wheel smiled, his teeth as bright as the lightning. She'll do. That's freaking creepy, right? It's definitely guys getting ready to kidnap a girl. Outside the Scully residence. Chapter 3. Scully residence. Two minutes later. <laughs> 10.09 p.m. Dana prayed she would not dream that night. She prayed hard on her knees, hands clasped and fingers twisted together, trying to concentrate on her prayer despite the music coming from the next room. Melissa's bedroom was on the other side of a thin wall. She was in one of those moods where she played the same album over and over again. Tonight, it was the self-titled Fleetwood Mac record that came out four years ago when Melissa was 13. Sometimes her sister played whole albums without pause except to flip the disc over. And then there were long stretches where she'd play and replay the same song. Lately, it was Rhiannon. Melissa was rereading Triad, a new novel of the supernatural by Mary Leader, the book that inspired the song. Melissa believed that she, like the character in the song, was the reincarnation of a Welsh witch. Oh. Her sister sounds insufferable. I don't know. I like the Welsh accent. But she's not Welsh, so. Well, if she learns how to do a Welsh accent. Okay. Yeah, I don't have anything against the Welsh accent. I'm just like, she's... The 17-year-old girl sounds like me. The 17-year-old girl? No, it sounds like me at 13. (laughs) (laughs) Insufferable, what I say. (laughs) That was Melissa. Dana took a breath, pressed her eyes shut, touched her hand to the small cross she wore on a gold chain, an exact match of the one Melissa wore, and tried again to recite the prayer to the Virgin. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Dana was not as diligent as she wanted to be. Faith like belief in anything that was part of the spiritual world, took effort for her. But at the same time, it interested her. She liked the orderliness and structure of the rituals and prayers. They were like formula to her. She went to church, but not as often as her mother wanted her to. There were answers there, she knew, but maybe not to her own questions. Or maybe it was that her instincts told her that that church wasn't going to answer all her questions. She wasn't sure. It's wild to me that she's 15 and just thinking, thinking these things when I was doing it at 11. Yeah. But, you know, maybe she's more innocent than I was, which is always a good thing. And some people never get there. Yep. She finished the prayer, rose from her knees, sat down on the edge of the bed, and opened her Bible to where she'd placed a feather as a bookmark. It was a crow feather she'd found at the bottom of the step of the porch. The bottom step of the porch. Dana used the soft, gleaming tip to brush the words as she read the passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Those words troubled her. I feel like reading the Bible before bed is a bad idea. It sounds terrifying. Well, not if you read the, like, the comforting ones that are like, everything's going to be okay. Are there passages like that? Because I feel like it's, uh, there's plague and everyone's dying and God hates you and is going to flood the world and kill everybody. That's all Old Testament. Or make you kill your whole family. That's all Old Testament. New Testament is like, Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. (laughs) Since moving to the town of Craig Maryland a few months ago, Dana had been having more vivid and frequent dreams. Back in San Diego, her odd dreams had been strange, but kind of fun. She'd dream the ending of a movie before the family went to see it. She'd know someone's name before being introduced. The dreams were like a freaky kind of deja vu because she usually only remembered them when the substance of her dreams became the reality of the moment. Not that she ever had many of those dreams. A few scattered through the months. 
They'd only turned strange and dark here in Krager, and she was having them much more often. Maybe it was the town. Maybe it was that Dana felt more like an outsider here. She had no friends yet, no real friends. Melissa, who was two years older and a senior, could make friends anywhere. Oh, she's starting her senior year at a new school? That's a, that's a bummer. Come on, Jonathan Mayberry. <laughs> the switch from nine years of Catholic school to 10th grade in public school wasn't helping. Dana was unnerved by the lack of structure here. She was used to everyone being in uniforms and everyone following the rules. She was struggling to fit in at school while Melissa acted like she'd been freed from prison. <laughs> Dana set the Bible aside and got up feeling stiff and sore, so she unrolled her yoga mat. That was something new to try. Melissa had gotten hooked on it back in San Diego and swore that yoga was a pathway to enlightenment. Dana was just happy enough to have something to untangle the knots in her muscles. You know how knotted up you are as a 15-year-old? Yeah. The mountain pose was an easy place to start. She stood tall with her feet together, shoulders relaxed, weight evenly distributed through her soles, arms at her side. She took a deep breath and raised her hands overhead, palms facing each other with arms straight. She reached up toward the ceiling with her fingertips and held them there, concentrating on breathing and letting her muscles relax. Yoga was probably another thing the girls in school would think was weird. There was a definite animosity in school that anyone accepted as normal. That everyone accepted as normal. Sorry. Any and everyone. Which is something that you do not get in Catholic school. No animosity? None. It's good. It was some kind of invisible dividing line between military brats like themselves and townies. As a military brat, do you know how often I went to a new school and was like, townies. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Literally never. <laughs> Also, she's gone to Catholic school for nine years straight, but she's also a military brat, so she hasn't been going to the same Catholic school. No townies in those schools, though. None. Couldn't be. Townies aren't Catholic. <laughs> She'd seen it in San Diego, and it was definitely here in Krager. Although she never seemed to, it never seemed to touch Melissa. Her sister was always able to go back and forth between those groups, and people just seemed to accept her and like her. It was never that easy for Dana. Oh. If anyone at school here knew that Dana was dream what dr Dana was dreaming about lately, they'd really stay away. They wouldn't just treat her as a stranger. They'd know she was a freak. <laughs> Not a freak. You know how all of the scary nightmares that I have and I tell you about? Constantly, yes. And how vivid they are? Yes. Never once have I been like, I can't tell anybody else <laughs> they're going to think I'm a freak. Well, I'm not a teenage girl, but I feel like even as self-conscious as I was then and am now, they're just dreams. nightmares. Yeah. They're awful, <laughs> but they're just dreams. <laughs> that was why she'd kept the dreams to herself. After all, how could she ever explain that she'd seen the devil? Explain that to the Catholics. They'll believe you. She hadn't told Melissa the whole truth tonight either. She hadn't told her that she'd been having these dreams ever since they'd moved here. Not just once, but almost every night. There was something about the town. It wasn't right in some way that Dana simply could not describe or understand. She tired of the mountain pose and got face down on the mat to do the cobra. She placed her hands flat on, with her thumbs directly under her shoulders, legs extended with the tops of her feet on the mat. Then she tightened her pelvic floor, an action that always made her feel a little weird and self-conscious. Uh, it's also a weird thing for a grown-ass man to be writing about a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. Tucked her hips downward and squeezed her glutes. Didn't get any better with that sentence, did it? <laughs> Then very slowly and steadily, she pushed against the floor to raise her head and shoulders and upper torso, while keeping her lower stomach and legs in place. That's the cobra? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that was upward-facing gremlin. 
Yep. It's also, it depends on which card deck you're using. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's the Nine of Cups. <laughs> also, before we get too much further, she's got a bad feeling about the devil in this town. Yeah. It's 1979. The Warrens are in business right now. She needs to get a hold of them. Ooh, did you know that they didn't charge people for their investigations? I did not know that. Yep. Wow. They made their money by speaking tours and books and other, basically the entertainment side of it. Okay. But they did not charge the people who needed their services. They just used those experiences to make money later. Yeah. That's good. You know, it's not exploiting the people in, the, in need yeah. in the moment. It's making them think that they need you. <laughs> I, I would be much more inclined to invite them into the house for free than for $500. Yes. And I would feel much better if they came in and said, oh, no, it's just the pipe settling. I would feel better about that, too. I just wonder how often that actually happened. I don't know. In in the Conjuring movie, they tell a lot of people <laughs> yes. that it's just noises. <laughs> in the Conjuring movie, Ed Warren's not a pedophile. That is true. They do skip that part. Yeah. Uh, okay, so she's doing yoga. She's doing, <laughs> she's doing yoga in a way that if I didn't know what these movements were, I could follow along and do them now. Yeah. Blind. They're really describing what she's doing with her body. Yeah. Explicitly. Yeah. At the point of maximum lift, explicitly. <laughs> she tried to push her chest toward the opposite wall. The idea was to do the movement, relax, and repeat, but she held it, feeling the muscles in her lower back unclench. There were two small pops as something in her spine moved into place. That shift deflated a ball of tension that had been sitting in her lower back all day. Okay, so maybe there was something to yoga, the yoga stuff after all. She relaxed and repeated, again holding the pose. Through the wall, Melissa sang along with the raspy-voiced lead singer, talking about being taken by the wind, talking about being promised heaven, that triggered another flash of the dreams Dana was having. The dreams were different and they came in fragments, like she was trying to adjust an antenna on a TV station just out of range. Or conduit. Oh. There were bits of images, snatches of words, and no real story in any of them. One thing was constant, though, and it made Dana feel strange, confused, and even a little guilty. In her dreams, the devil always looked like an angel. So pure and handsome. Like Dana David Bowie. Yes, or Tilda Swinton. <laughs> or Tilda Swinton. I'm just mentioning Bowie because the DC comic Lucifer, where it's literally the devil, they drew him to look like David Bowie on purpose because that's who they thought the devil would look like. Ah, I'd be taken. What? Dana knew that Lucifer had been the angel of light. It was confusing because the Catholic school she, in Catholic school she'd always imagined the devil was hideous and ugly. What if he wasn't? What if he was beautiful? Like, like David, David Bowie? Bowie? <laughs> Maybe, she thought, that would explain why it was easy for some people to fall under his spell. The angel she dreamed about had kind eyes and gentle hands and a smile that was a little sad. Aww. He sat on the edge of her bed and whispered secrets to Dana, secrets she could not remember when she woke up. But she knew it was important to the devil that she believed him, that she believed he was not evil, that he was misunderstood. This sounds like grooming. This sounds like Mulder. <laughs> that he was really good deep in her heart dana wondered if there was even such a thing as evil after all if god created the universe and everything in it then he had to have created evil and the devil also and why would he have done that she must not have read the first testament old testament <laughs> the beginning the one yeah 
The prologue? The prequel. <laughs> the Jesus prequel. Can you tell all of my Catholic the- school training <laughs> really, really has stuck with me? Didn't it make more sense that the devil was helping God by chasing confused people in the direction of faith and salvation? Oh, wow. No. <laughs> no. She was sure the nuns in her old school would be furious with her for that kind of thought. Slap her with a ruler. Dana realized that she had been holding the pose too long. I keep forgetting she's doing yoga. (laughs) And now the released tension in her back returned. She lowered herself to the floor, then rolled onto her back and stared up at the ceiling. Outside, there was a rumble of thunder that sounded like laughter. Not raucous party laughter or her own dad's deep-throated laugh when he was in one of his rare happy moods. No, this was different. Darker. It was a mean little laugh. As if the night were laughing at a secret it didn't yet want to share. Wind hissed like snakes in the trees. Or like wind in the trees. (laughs) (laughs) In the next bedroom, the song started again and her sister sang. And the clock ticked its way deeper into the night. Rhiannon flies on a night like a round. Would you love to love her? Six through the sky like bird in flight and who will be her lover let's take a break and order our food again oh wait a little through heaven okay now back after we got our drinks because it is circle time chapter four Crager, maryland 11 is that right into the mic yes i did Ugh, it's bonus content we could be loose but i don't want you to be gross you said we had drinks. I had to make sure that they didn't think you were lying. <laughs> Why would they think I'm lying? I don't. These people, you know. You're you rude. Know. You're going to have to be sent to time out. I not. No. Misbehaving during circle time? <sighs> yep. Just sit there quietly and pout. Chapter 4, Crager, Maryland, 11.59 p.m. It's okay, said the man. I won't hurt you. When has anyone ever been telling the truth when they say a line like that? He had the face of an angel, and he had been that to her for months. Her angel. As real as any angel she'd ever believed in. Hush. Hush. His voice was soft and young, but his eyes were old, and they made the girl cringe. The girl's head hurt, and the room seemed to stagger and tilt. There was something wrong with her head. She knew that much, though she couldn't remember exactly what had happened car? Something about the car? Yes? No? Maybe? Was she even driving? The girl remembered leaving the party, remembered not liking the way one guy was pawing at her, or the way the other boys looked at her and laughed. She felt like a piece of meat on a barbecue spit, turning and turning, being cooked on the hot flames of their smiles. I would just like you, I would just like to remind you that this is a man writing about a teenage girl. Which yeah. I think should be illegal. <laughs> uh, the, what's his face? John Green does a really good job, doesn't he? You know, I have only read most of *An Abundance of Catherines*, and the protagonist is a teenage boy. Oh, okay. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know why I think that. I just... Hank Green wrote a female protagonist really well. I did read all of that book. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking. The girl tried to think, to clear her head, but it was so hard. Thinking hurt. It's hard being a girl. (laughs) Math is hard. (laughs) There was a dull, constant ache, as if hands were squeezing the sides of her skull, and a heavy throb behind her eyes. It was almost as bad as a migraine, but it felt different. She felt different. 
not sick to her stomach the way she was at times she had cramps so bad they triggered a migraine. This was as bad, but the pain felt raw. It felt new, sharper. You know how menstrual pains don't feel raw? <laughs> yeah, they're well cooked on a barbecue spit. Turning and turning? Yep. With a jolt, she realized that her thoughts were sliding away from the moment, and she jerked out of the semi-daze. She was in the corner with nowhere else to go. Her shoulders bumped against the wall, and it was cold. There was dust and trash on the floor. It's okay, little sister, said the man. The angel. And she had to blink several times to clear her eyes so she could see him. See his weirdly old-looking eyes and his mean smile. Why are you doing this, she asked. Her voice was a rusted chain creak that didn't even sound like her. Her throat hurt too. Had she been screaming? Was that why her voice sounded like that? Maybe. Screaming seemed like something she wanted to do. Something that maybe she should do? Not doing anything, said the angel. It's you who offered this gift to me. It's you who are helping to bring about the dawn of the Red Age. Yeah. No. No. A grown-ass man telling a, an underage girl that she is offering herself as a gift to him. Oh, bringing about the dawn of the Red Age. No, no, she barked. The arms of paradise are open wide to embrace you, to thank you, to accept such a wonderful gift so freely given. Told you it sounds like grooming. Please, she said. And then she realized that her legs were bending, that her traitor knees had buckled. She sank down before him as he approached. Behind him, through the cracked window glass, she could see the glare of headlights, fixed, parked. Her mom's car? Had he brought the car here or had she driven here? The girl wasn't sure. All she knew was that if the car was here, that she was in so much trouble because it was late. Not by the clock, though it was late enough there too. She had no doubt. No, it was too late for anything. This scene is terrifying. This girl is having so many issues She's in danger, obviously, but she's also afraid that she's going to be in trouble for being late for curfew. I don't think he meant this scene to be this terrifying. And there's also a grown-ass man, obviously about to do something horrible to her. Yeah. This is, ugh, that's it. That's the best word. Okay. The angel squatted down in front of her, reached out, took her hands. He pressed her palms together and held them in front of her chest as if she were praying. Then he bent and kissed her fingertips. Very lightly, eyelids fluttering closed. Thank you, he said in the softest of voices. Please, she begged. It was her last word. Then, all she could do was scream. We're not going to end on that chapter because that was horrifying. <laughs> chapter 5, Scully Residence. April 2nd, 12.01 a.m. Dana woke with a scream. Small, strangled, painful. It punched its way out of her chest and passed the stricture in her throat and then died in the dark, still air of her room. It had not been a random, meaningless scream. It had been a word. Please! Cried out with all the need and horror and desperation that any single word could bear to carry. She sat up, panting, bathed in sweat, watching fireworks burst like magic in the shadows around her. The sound of her own cry faded, 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 and was gone. It took the memory of the dream with it. Most of it, not all. She saw a flash of light on metal. She felt a burn in her own skin. Not one, but several. But when she dug and probed at her wrists and side and head, there was nothing. No cut, no lingering bruise, no trace of the warm wetness of blood. Nothing. Except the memory of the knife. Except the feeling of dying. Except the feeling of being dead. 
which we know how I feel about the feeling of being dead. Yes. You don't feel anything. Except missing you. No. <laughs> no. Yes. Nothing. It's nothing. And something else. A face? A stranger or young man? I mean, a teenager or young man. Tall, she thought. Though he was squatting down. Broad shoulders, strong. But his face was unclear. Not hidden by shadows. Not exactly. It was more that it was shadows. That he had no real face. That there was only darkness where a face should have been. Please. She tried to recapture the word and to listen to it again because she was absolutely certain it had not been spoken in her own voice, even though it had come from her own mouth. The night grew quiet. The flashing lights faded, taking with them the shapes and sounds and strangeness, leaving only her room. She swung her feet out of bed and studied the darkness, trying to feel it, but it was like trying to coax a spark from a dead battery. Something all teenage girls who don't drive yet know about. As the dream faded, so did her belief that it had ever happened. Dana sat on the edge of her bed for a long time, wondering if it was a dream or a nightmare, wondering if it was a vision, wondering if maybe she was just a little bit crazy. So in this book, Dana Scully is a psychic. Yes. Sigh. I mean, as far as we're getting information, she's having these visions. Yeah. Chapter 6, Scully Residence, 6.29 a.m. Jeez, said Melissa as she dragged into, as she shrugged into her denim book bag. What's with you this bright and sunny Monday morning? Dana stuffed her math and science textbooks in her backpack, which was pink with blue piping, and avoided her sister's eyes. Nothing. Why? Um, have you looked in a mirror lately? You don't just have bags under your eyes, you have matching luggage. Didn't you get any sleep at all? Dana zipped the bag shut and pulled it up on. The backpack was heavy, filled with school books. The white gi she used in jujitsu class and some stuff she knew she probably did not need. She adjusted the straps, and it was still, still weighed a ton. Melissa's looked like it was entirely empty, because she almost never brought her textbooks home, unless she had to cram for a test the next day. Dana liked to read ahead and get ready for whatever the teachers were going to throw at her. One of her greatest fears was being unprepared for a pop quiz. The thought of it gave her actual cold sweats. Not that the teacher here, teachers here in Crager bothered much with them. Not like the nuns back in San Diego. That hadn't been what kept her tossing and turning all night, but she didn't want to talk about her dreams. The thunder kept waking me up, Dana lied. She flicked a glance at her sister out of the corner of her eye. Saw the skepticism. Oh, now the sister's the skeptic, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Thunder? It was loud. Uh Uh-huh. There was a sound like a motorboat revving in high gear, and a blur came shooting past them. Dana had a quick glimpse at the reddish hair in her reddest hair in her family, freckled cheeks, a striped shirt, and well-worn sneakers as the youngest Scully blew past her, burst through the door, jumped off the porch, and vanished. Ten-year-old Charlie was like that. He was almost a ghost in the family, rarely interacting with anyone, constantly in his own head, and lost in whatever solo fantasy he was playing out. He added sound effects and even occasionally hummed a music score to his internal adventures. Dad disapproved of Charlie's daydreaming and deep devotion to comics and science fiction movies. Mom tolerated him with loving exasperation, but no real understanding. Melissa and Dana loved him, but almost never actually had conversations with him. And their older brother, Bill Jr., treated Charlie like a frisky pet puppy. A lot of kids. They're Catholic. Life was complicated at the Scully house. (laughs) Charlie sounds like he's having a blast. (laughs) (laughs) Dana went out on the porch and saw Charlie leap into the school bus. He never walked anywhere. He ran, leaped, jumped hopped, dived, and tumbled. 
As the bus passed, she caught a brief glimpse of his pale face grinning at her from one of the windows. He held two fingers up at a peace sign, which she dutifully returned. She stood on the top step and looked at the big church across the street. It was an awkward blend of red brick, gray stone, and faded black tar paper shingles. Tall, weathered, gothic, and empty. It creeped her out and made the post-storm morning chill even feel even colder. And not what she wanted to see after dreaming of fallen angels. My light is getting bad. Along with my eyeballs. It was unnerving to see a place of worship standing purposeless, filled only with shadows. The neighbor, Mrs. Cowley, had said that it used to be St. Joan's, a Catholic church, but there had been a bad fire two years ago. Several people had died there, including two nuns, the priest, and five people from the congregation. It is a bad fire. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. The building had been partly restored, but Mrs. Cowley said it wasn't going to be St. Joan's anymore. Another group was moving in. That was how she put it. Another group. No one in the neighborhood seemed to know whether they were Catholic or Protestant, though Mrs. Carmody down the street said she heard it was some kind of non-denominational group. Oh, those non-denominationals. I bet they don't have a fire that kills seven people. Yeah, those universal life church people. <laughs> Dana's father had sneered at that idea and dismissed it as probably one of those Jesus freak hippie things. And when Mom had pointed out that the hippie days had been over for years, Dad only grunted. That was how a lot of conversations went at the Scully house. Sounds like a great house. Yeah. Dana adjusted the straps of her backpack and thought about what it, would, what it meant for the church to be empty. If the Catholics weren't coming back, then the church had, would have been officially deconsecrated, which meant that it was no longer a house of God, which I find fascinating. That, huh. <laughs> that is weird. That's yeah. really weird. Like, no, this place can't be holy anymore. I wonder what you do. How do you deconsecrate a place? You poop on it. Oh, God. <laughs> David. <laughs> the thought frightened Dana, and it made the building look not just empty, but abandoned. Isn't it? <laughs> not just empty, but also had no people <laughs> And no one was coming back. And only half rebuilt. What? By people and God. She never saw the construction workers who were supposed to be restoring it. Sometimes she heard hammering and electric saws, but never saw people. So weird. So scary. You're an idiot, she told herself. Stop it. Melissa came out on the porch. She wore an electric blue sweater that made her red hair catch fire. Us? Not today, Missy, said Dana. She wore a heavy, cream-colored Irish cable-knit sweater. Cable-knit sweater she'd gotten for Christmas. Even though it was the beginning of spring, she felt cold. She always felt cold, but this morning there was a deeper chill. She couldn't seem to shake. We have time. It was about a mile to school, and although there was a bus, they both liked walking. Cranger was an odd town. The total population was small, but it covered a large area because of vast farms. It was crowded during the day and a ghost town at night. Field hands who worked the farms came by the hundreds in buses every morning from Baltimore and other cities and then left at sunset. The high school and middle schools were magnets that drew in students from all over the county, but most of the students vanished in fleets of yellow buses every afternoon. The small center of town was moderately busy, but at night and on weekends, Krager might as well have been the dark side of the moon. There's not like an Air Force base there or anything? Not according to this description, just lots of farms. Why... Are they living there? Does he commute like an hour and a half to the Air Force Base? Unclear. It never is clarified. That 
Good job, John Mayberry. Not only are you describing little girls' bodies a little too much, you also forgot to put an Air Force base in the city or small town somehow that the they had to move to because the dad was in the Air Force. Yep. It was, however, a very pretty little town. Oh, that's nice. So it's okay. Okay. Very green. Idyllic. San Diego had been all succulents and palm trees, but not much grass and very few leafy plants. April and Crager was lush with 10,000 shades of green from the purplish... I love that. From the purplish. <laughs> Bahia... Bahia grass? To the vibrant bluegrass. I love that. So many shades of green. Purple, blue. And blue. To the dark green ryegrass. Dana had read a book on the flora and fauna of Maryland when her dad announced that they would that he would be transferring all the way across the country. Identifying plants, flowers, trees, birds, and insects was fun for her. Anything that was orderly and precise kept her steady, helped her find solid footing, no matter how weird her dreams got. So far, we've seen literally none of that. <laughs> no. Not in the book, but in the series. Yeah. She wondered how Melissa managed it, because floating above the grass and drifting on the breeze seemed to be how her sister coped with everything. Which sounds nice. <laughs> With the constant changes of towns and schools and friends, with being Navy brats and the fights at home and the long, silent meals, with never being able to put down roots, but they were in Catholic school for nine years. Yeah. And, and it's the way that she talked about it sounded like the same Catholic school. And Navy, not... Yeah. I kept saying Air Force. She had another... You had another dream, didn't you? Said Melissa as they crossed Elk Street past a ranch-style house, with whose garden was an explosion of columbines and bluebells. Explosion of columbines? That's a flower. Oh, they need to change the name of that flower. It was the storm, began Dana, but Melissa cut her off. You had another dream, said Melissa, punctuating each word with a poke in her sister's arm. Hard, too. Ow, complained Dana. They walked half a block. So, okay, I had a dream. Big deal. So, tell me what it was. It really annoyed Dana that her sister seemed to think this was all some del- something delicious and wonderful, as if it were fun. Dana did not want to talk about her dream. She looked over her shoulder and could see a steep- the steeple of the empty church silhouetted against the morning sky. Come on, wheedled Melissa. You know I'm just going to badger you until you tell me everything. They crossed the street and walked past a pair of grade school kids trudging toward the bus stop. If I tell you, said Dana carefully, you're going to have to promise not to make a big thing of it. When do I ever? Dana gave her a frank stare. Okay, Melissa said. Fair enough. But I won't now, okay? You promise? Melissa actually crossed her heart and held up a hand. May lightning strike me. Don't say that. (laughs) Not if you're Catholic. (laughs) Right? Melissa shook her head. You're weird this morning. I know. Melissa took a lollipop out of her backpack, put it in her mouth, and began to suck very loudly. (laughs) Tell me. (sighs) Gross. Dana did, and she surprised herself by telling her sister all of it. Every single detail. Melissa did not laugh. She didn't make fun of Dana, nor did she make a big thing of it. Instead, two small vertical lines formed between her eyebrows, and she lapsed into a thoughtful silence. They walked for three blocks without saying a word. When the silence went on a few moments longer than Dana thought it should, she turned to Melissa and asked, Missy, do you think I'm losing it? No, Melissa said at once. I really don't. Then what do you think it means? Melissa crunched the lollipop, attacking it with enthusiasm. She did that when she was happy, and she did it when she was nervous. She wasn't happy now. 
I don't know, she said. Maybe it's... Before she could finish, someone yelled, Hey, Red and Redder! They turned as two other students from the school came trotting across the street. The one who'd spoken was Dave Minderhan, a junior who was one of the legion of guys who wanted to go out with Melissa. He was with his sister Eileen, who was a sophomore and in a few of Dana's classes. They were both trim, athletic, with dark hair and brown eyes. Eileen was a very pretty cheerleader, but not one of the nasty stuck-up ones. <laughs> this guy has a complicated relationship with high school girls. He really does. She was a bookworm who also did sports. Oh. oh. She's a manic pixie dream girl. I'm not, no, no. She's not a manic pixie dream girl. She's not like the other girls. Yes, that's what this is. Dave was on the school's soccer team. They wore identical FSK high, high sweatshirts. Dave wore his over green corduroys, and Eileen wore hers over new and very tight designer jeans. Dana had no idea why Melissa never went out with Dave. He was cute, and she didn't mind his nickname for the Scully girls, Red and Redder. Wow, said Dave. That's so messed up, isn't it? Huh? said Dana. About Maisie. Who? He gave her a funny look. Maisie? From school? She was killed last night. Also, I can tell you why uh, Melissa doesn't go out with Dave. Why? She is a senior, and he is a junior. Oh, stupid boy. <laughs> Being born a year too late. This fault. He should have really thought of that. Get your shit together, Dave. I told you. Everybody's named David. Chapter 7. Crager, Maryland. 6.42 a.m. What? Dana almost yelled it. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Dave and Eileen stopped walking for a moment and stared at her in surprise. Was she one of was she a friend of yours? asked Eileen, suddenly looking concerned. And then she shot her brother a stern look. That's your problem, you goon. You drop stuff like that on people with no warning. Dave put his hands up as if trying to back away from her rebuke. Whoa! How did I know Dana and Maisie were friends? Jeez, Red, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Well, excuse <laughs> me. No, said Dana. It's all right. I, it just ca caught me off guard. Eileen touched her arm. Are you okay? I'm sorry, said Dave quickly. Were you guys close? No, said Dana. I, I didn't know her at all. It's just... Melissa stepped in. It's fine. I doubt Dana ever met her. No, said Dana. I don't know who she is. Maisie was a senior, explained Melissa. I have had Jim in social studies with her. It's just a... A shock, you know? Someone in our school being... How did it happen? Demanded Dana. Where? Did they catch who did it? Wait, what? Said Dave, still off balance. Catch who? For what? Did they catch the guy who killed her? Eileen shook her head. Oh, no, it wasn't like that. Goon Squad here said it wrong. Maisie wasn't killed killed. Not like you mean. God, it wasn't like that. She was killed in a car accident. Oh. Dana wasn't sure if it was a relief or not. It didn't feel like one. Then she realized everyone was staring at her. Oh, she said again, changing the emphasis. That's awful. I mean, what happened? They began walking together, Eileen on her side, Dave over next to Melissa. From what I heard, said Eileen in a confidential tone, she was high. Oh no, not high. High, said Melissa. Maisie Bell? No way. You knew her? Asked Dave. She just said I had social studies in gym with her. <laughs> not very well. Just saw her in class, but she didn't seem like the kind of girl who'd be out doing drugs. On a Sunday night? God's oh, day? Not on a Sunday. Well, that's what I heard, said Eileen primly. 
that she was at some party outside town and had her mom's car. She left late and smashed into a tree. Single car accident, said Dave, nodding. No one else to blame. Just her and a bunch of bad choices. Oh, that's why her head was so swimmy in that one chapter, because she was on the marijuana. Yep. Because that's what it does to you. Single car accident, no one else to blame. Just her and a bunch of bad choices. She practically asked for it. Well, that's why she was talking to the devil. She was taking the devil's lettuce. Ah, she should have asked, not just taken it. Or shared. Puff, puff, pass, baby. Dana wondered if he was quoting someone. Probably. It sounded like the sort of thing a parent would say over breakfast at home. So sad, said Melissa. She must have had a karmic debt to pay off. <laughs> and once she was done, she lifted off the planet. What? <laughs> <laughs> no one commented. <laughs> Few people ever did when Melissa said things like that. David Eileen nodded soberly as if they agreed with the substance of what Melissa said, but Dana caught a brief look that flashed between them. Amused, tolerant, affectionate, and a little exasperated, and clearly disbelieving. Dana could relate to a degree. While she shared some of her sister's new age beliefs, Melissa seemed to go further and further out, talking a lot about spirit journeys, channeling ancient entities, astral guides, and that sort of thing, all of which made it hard to keep up. So weird, said Dave. What? asked Dana. Her dying like that? Dave shook his head. Not just her. It seems like a lot of people are checking out lately. Maisie's like the fifth this year. <laughs> Come on. Leave it to Dave to put things together. What are you talking about? asked Dana, shocked. You and Melissa are pretty new here, Dana, said Eileen. You moved here, what, around Christmas? After Thanksgiving, but we didn't start school until after Christmas break. Mom homeschooled us for a while and... And you... <laughs> and so you don't know what's been going on, interrupted Dave. See, Maisie's not the first teenager from Crager killed in a car accident. Maisie makes five. What? Dana and Melissa gasped at the same time. Yep, said Dave, nodding. Five teens since the school year started. Two from S FSK and three from Oak Valley High, right over the county line. What? That's horrible, whispered Melissa. Think about how we feel, Eileen said. <laughs> what? <laughs> I only knew Maisie and Chuck Riley because they both went to FSK, said Dave. I'm so sorry, Dana said, not knowing what else she could say. Eileen said, they said all of them were high, drunk or high, whatever. Dana frowned. You sound like you don't believe that. Maybe with Chuck, said Eileen, brushing a strand of her hair from her face. He hung out with his older brother and some frat guys, but Maisie? No way. And I'm not saying she was Miss Goody Two-Shoes, but when it came to that sort of stuff, she was straight. No one is ever going to tell me different. And I've heard people say the same about the others. No one else believes they were stoned either. At least none of us do. It's just what the cops say. And the teachers, she sighed. Which means we're going to get another of those stupid assemblies about the danger of drugs, blah, blah, blah. But it's all crap. Maisie definitely didn't get high. No way on earth. It's the whole being dead thing that's messing with my head, said Dave. I'm 17, and we're not supposed to have a sell-by date, you know? Everyone dies, said Eileen, matter of fact as always. Death is a doorway, Oh. countered Melissa. Nice. Dave shook his head. Maybe it is, but if so, what's on the other side? We transform and reincarnate, said Melissa. We return to source, 
and then take a new form in order to continue our journey to enlightenment. Dana resisted the urge to roll her eyes. Eileen looked away for a moment, and Dana figured she was rolling her eyes. It sounds like Melissa isn't Catholic. No, <laughs> Melissa's very not Catholic. Maybe, Dave said again. But that's just a theory, and hey, I try to keep an open mind and all. But none of us really know what it's like to be dead. I guess we'll all find out, said Eileen. Doesn't make it any, any easier to process what happened last night, said Dave. Maisie went to our school. She lived in this neighborhood. We knew her. Not really well, but enough. Enough for her to be alive in our world, if that makes sense. Dana glanced at him in surprise and walked a few steps in silence, reappraising him. She did know what he meant, and she knew that it was a very deep question. It was a frightening question, too. When she was little, she believed in the Sunday school version of heaven. Her beliefs had evolved as she'd grown older, read more, thought more deeply, and considered such matters in a serious, with a serious mind. The conversation continued, and she drifted along with the others, but tuned them out as she listened to her own thoughts. Dave had struck a nerve. None of us really know what it's like to be dead. Was Maisie's consciousness, her soul, still out there, up there, wherever, remembering the crash, the twisted metal, the pain, the dying? Was it a horf? It was a horrifying thought. Was it a horrifying thought? Yes, Kristen, it was. <laughs> they talked about Daisy all the way to school. To Dana, it felt like death was walking right behind them the whole way. Wow. And that's where we're going to stop it for today. Circle time's over, everybody. For today... I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> Circle know, time's over for today. You don't have anything to be like, hey, make sure you go rate and subscribe and do all the things, babies. <laughs> our, our cast heads. <laughs> our cast heads. Our cast casties. Well, I will come back with to you with chapter eight shortly, but you can do the wrap up part because I don't do that part, so I don't know what to say. Come on back, cast heads. <laughs> More circle time later on.